This is the Reflection Podcast, and I'm Ed Blonsky, and I'm on the pastoral staff at St. Matthew, where this podcast is produced. And on today's podcast, we're going to talk with Chris Singer, who is the uh, director of Lutheran Church Charities, based here in uh, northeastern Illinois. You may know them as the group that puts together the Comfort Dog Ministry. Uh, you may have heard about them, or maybe even if you're a Missouri Synod Lutheran, uh, your church has a comfort dog like ours has had. Chris Singer just recently got back from Hawaii. He was in Maui um, and seeing some of the devastation there and also bringing some relief to the families there. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about the comfort dog ministry. And we're going to talk about Lutheran Church Charities. God has specifically equipped Chris to lead this group. And because God has equipped him to lead this group, he now can be the, the answer and the hands of God to equip others to serve in the church as well as in our country and around the world to help people and to know the love of Jesus. So on today's uh, podcast, we have our discussion with Chris Singer, So, and he will be in the pastor's office very shortly. Again, the Reflection Podcast is produced by St. Matthew Lutheran Church, and at the end of this podcast, I'll tell you how you can get involved and get in contact with us here at St. Matthew. But first, Let's get to uh, my discussion with Chris Singer of Lutheran Church Charities as he is in the pastor's office on the Reflection Podcast. Joining me in the pastor's office today on the Reflection Podcast is Chris Singer, who is the president and CEO of Lutheran Church Charities. Hey, Chris, welcome. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Uh, so, for the sake of our viewers and listeners, why don't you give us a little bit of background of who you are and where you're from? Sure. Well, I am absolutely a saved, baptized child of God. Praise be to God. Uh, was born and raised in Southern California in uh, the early 70s. And then I moved to Colorado for a time after my dad sold his Christian bookstore. And so we moved to Colorado where he started working for Zondervan Family Bookstores. And uh, lived in Colorado for a while. Then I went back to California to go to college. Went there to Christ College Irvine, now Concordia University Irvine. And uh, went through their program. I was actually headed to become a teacher. And the reason why I wanted to teach, I wanted to teach history. I couldn't imagine doing math because I'm not very good at it. I certainly couldn't imagine diagramming sentences. That sounded like death. But I was really fascinated with history. I loved history. I loved stories. I uh, loved learning about history. And, but I wasn't even really that fascinated about teaching history. What I really wanted to do was I wanted to coach. I was a basketball coach, and I wanted to coach basketball. And so I thought, that's, that's where God's going to point me. That's where I'm going to go. And in the middle of that, in my junior year, right before I started my junior year, um, is when I knew that it was going to be a different route for me. I was going to be a pastor. And as I uh, got that awareness and uh, still remember announcing that to my dad during the summer before I came back to college, and uh, his reaction was, well, let's just see how the Lord leads. And um, sure enough, uh, before he knew it, I was out of college and I managed a Christian bookstore for my father, was set to go to seminary, but I still was really unsettled. I uh, wanted to pursue music, so I moved back to California and uh, started pursuing music, was doing worship leading at a very large non-denominational congregation out there in California, and then I started working for the Christian music industry, and eventually I found my way back into the Lutheran Church via a wedding. I sang at a wedding, and um, the godfather, my godfather, who happened to be the organist for that wedding, he came up to me and said, hey... The folks who led our contemporary worship here took a call. Would you be interested? And so I did. So I did that for part-time, and then I went full-time worship and music uh, there at St. John's Lutheran Church in Orange. And then when I was done with that, I um, moved into executive pastor there at St. John's and did that. I was there for 18 years. And then I got a call to move to Spring, Texas to serve as senior pastor at a congregation there in Texas. And now I'm here in Illinois. Uh, St. John's Orange was just over the hill from where I served in uh, Ontario, California for four years. And so I think you had left already. I, uh, Tim Klinkenberg was the pastor there while I was there, a classmate of mine. So, yeah, we're, um, uh, 
we've we've shared some of the same real estate. That's I want to talk about um, who influenced you a little bit later on today, um, but. Uh, after Texas, I know that just recently you made that move to Illinois, and uh, these days you're out of the parish, so to speak, as a, at least as a full-time pastor. What are you doing these days? Yeah, so I serve as president and CEO for Lutheran Church Charities, and uh, Lutheran Church Charities has a mission statement to bring the mercy, the compassion, the presence, and the proclamation of Jesus to those who are suffering and those who are in need. And LCC does that through four main ways. We have our canine comfort dog ministry, which we're probably the most well-known for. We also have disaster response, which we carry out. In fact, I was just in Maui with our team uh, responding to a disaster there. Uh, we also have our hearts of mercy and compassion. And those are the markers, uh, crosses, and also our hearts, which people can sign for the deceased. And the family uh, receives those hearts with those well wishes from the community. And then also human care. Uh, where we basically match resources with needs and make sure that we help churches and other folks who are in need of help to minister to their communities. And those areas, I, you're right, I think the dogs are probably the most uh, visible of uh, LCC's ministries. The, the crosses and the hearts, that's something that our church that where I serve is also a big part of and we're going to talk I, I do want to talk to you about uh, Hawaii um, because that's one of the been one of the most recent um, deployments uh, that you have uh, have been to and I'm sure by the time people are watching this episode of the podcast or I'm sure there are going to be other opportunities for that as well um, I know that right now I'm, I'm watching my mother lives in Sarasota Florida and uh, they're getting ready for a, a, a major uh, hurricane uh, going to sweep them by. So I, I know that uh, LCC has been a part of that as well. But I want to get, I want to drill down a little bit on on why you are doing this. What do you think God had in mind um, when He was bringing you around and uh, through all the different experiences that you had growing up in the church, in, in the faith, and in California to get to you to the point where you are where you are today. What is it that you think God has called you? Why did you think God has called you to do this? Yeah, I, you know, I look back at my life now and I can see so many of the ways that the trails kind of combined and led me here. Um, but it wasn't always clear. Uh, very early on, uh, God had placed on my heart just a passion for the church. And I really say God placed it on my heart because honestly, there's a huge part of me where I've got 8 million other things that I would probably prefer to do on a Sunday morning. Uh, just like the average human would consider churches boring and all my friends consider church boring and all of that. But there was something that was instilled in me from my parents as well as I believe God gave to me a love for the church. There was something there that I experienced, the love of Jesus, the love and communion and fellowship with other believers. Um, that just really inspired me. And I was always brokenhearted that so many of my friends were not enjoying that. And it always caused me questions as to why that was. And that really led me on a pursuit of trying to figure out why, why wouldn't people want this? And that really led into my first call, honestly, because my first call was the pastor of contemporary worship and evangelism. And the very first service that we launched was a service that was targeted to people who weren't inside the church, people who had pretty much written church off. And that's who we went after. And we tried to speak their language and talk about modern things that they were dealing with in order to uh, really communicate the relevance and the joy and the love that we already knew, but they hadn't received yet. And then I look back through my life and I see different ways that God also was preparing me for this particular role. And one of those was I served as a sworn chaplain for the Tustin Police Department for three and a half years. And in that very brief time, um, I really had an opportunity to really engage with the community in a comfort zone that was way outside church. But it enabled me to bring the presence of Jesus into those moments. And I really look back and can see how the Lord used that. 
Then we got our mission legs at St. John's underneath us when Katrina hit. When Hurricane Katrina hit, uh, our church was really taken by everything we were seeing in the news, and they sent us there to go find ways that we could help. And we spent uh, eight months there in Katrina, uh, not only doing rescue and recovery, but then also rebuild. And that really, really prepared me to deal with folks who were in suffering and who were in need, especially during times of disaster. Fast forward one more time, I get to Texas and Hurricane Harvey hits. And now I learned disaster from a whole nother different perspective because we got 51 inches of water in our house. And when that happened, um, I like to tell the story that we were getting back into our house after the floodwaters had receded. My wife and I were really kind of tense and stressed, and she went to go start some things on one side of the house, and when she came back to me, I was standing there with my wet vac, and I was sucking out water out of the silverware drawer. And she just looked at me, and she said, what are you doing? And I said, well, i got to get this water out. And she said, honey, we're going to throw all that away. And that's when I realized that even after 10 months of dealing with you know a disaster from the outside, I was going to be really very challenged to do this in my own home. <laughs> and that taught me a lot. It taught me a lot to be on both sides of that coin. It gave me a greater sensitivity to dealing with folks who have lost a lot. And then you fast forward through that Harvey. We went and we rebuilt 200 homes and uh, really got an opportunity to minister to them. We also expanded our food pantry to where just last year at that congregation, uh, that congregation served 52,000 people last year out of their food pantry. So all of those experiences really led to when I looked at LCC going, this makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Lutheran Church Charities is what, you know, we, we've been calling it LCC, and that's I've been dealing with Lutheran Church Charities for the last 12 years as well. It's interesting what you just said, though. Um, Lutheran Church Charities is almost a misnomer. You don't just serve Lutherans. You don't just serve the church. And as a charity, you're not just fundraising. You're actually going out on the front lines with people who are not uh, Lutheran or maybe not even a Christian or a part of a church. And you're just being the hands and feet of God, of Jesus, right where they need to be. And I, I, I think that's so important for people to understand is that they don't just... You, you don't just have to fit into a mold of who am I going to serve. It could be the very next person you meet and most likely will be somebody you don't even realize. Yeah, that's so true. And I've been saying to folks uh, as I've continued to get a chance to preach in churches, I've been saying to them, I'm saying, you know, listen, this is not just LCC's mission. This is our mission. Um, there was a philosopher. He, he actually had Christianity, Buddhists, and a whole bunch of other stuff mixed in his background but he said something that has really rung true with me, and, and I know that uh, before he said it, Jesus had this coined already. And he, all, he said basically this, at the end of the day, all of us are just walking one another home. And I feel like that is so true for our human experience here on this earth. Um, you know, I think that um, if it comes to choice and it comes to um, control, those things oftentimes are outside of us. They are, there are things that are happening in this world, things that are emotion that we really don't have control of at all. And one of the things that is the most important is kindness and being there for one another, no matter where we are in the journey. Um, and unfortunately, I think in this country and unfortunately, I think some ways in our church, we've gotten to this place where we've gotten rather divisive in our language, in our attitudes towards people. And... Um, a lesson I learned in Texas, I, I think that sums it up pretty well, was I was driving down, and I was still, as a California city boy, just kind of shocked that there were actually cows right next to the road. And uh, I, I saw this cow, and this cow was like just really, really nurturing to this other cow. And I remember it just striking me. It was at one of those moments where i just seen a whole bunch of people treating one another badly. And so I just tweeted out, I just saw a cow being nice to a cow. We should be more like cows. Uh, you know, I just think some of those lessons are just so simple, but you're right. It's not just LCC's mission. It's all of our mission. What are some of the things when you 
took on the role at, at, at Lutheran Church Charities, you probably had an idea, this is what I'm going to be doing. And then, like most plans, it met reality. Uh, what are some of the things you expected and maybe didn't expect uh, about being in this role now? I, I think I expected urgency, right? I mean, whenever a disaster happens or whenever uh, one of our shootings happens or whenever someone's in need, uh, it's urgent. Um, and that urgency I kind of expected. What surprised me, however, was that I had it on day one. My very first day at LCC, uh, we had the shooting that happened in Monterey Park, California. And right away, I mean, I throw out training and onboarding. I was on the phone with other pastors and districts and trying to figure out how we could get our dog teams and our crosses there uh, to meet and minister in this moment. So I think urgency was something that I kind of expected, but I was shocked at how quickly it came and then how consistently it's been happening. You know, for the very first five months that I was um, that I've been with LCC, we've had a national major shooting crisis happen, and uh, we've just gone from one to the next. And then, of course, you add into their tornadoes and then ongoing needs with human care. Um, there's there's a lot of urgent need out there. So. In many ways, I would say I knew that was coming, but I was also surprised at the level of it. The dog deployment, again, like you said earlier, is probably the one thing that people will remember or recognize from Lutheran Church Charities. Tell me a little bit about how the comfort dog ministry works. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating. It's, um, God has given us an incredible gift in dogs. Um, dogs are very, very uniquely uh, created and have a talent for being intuitive to humans. And that's why they make good things like service dogs. Um, it's always amazed me, like I remember when COVID was hitting, one of the things that was on the news is that they actually had trained dogs to detect COVID. Um, they can detect when a person's blood sugar is low. All these things that dogs become aware of. Well, our dogs, uh, they detect when someone is suffering and hurting. And they literally know when someone is hurting and in need. It is common that our handlers will go into a gym full of children. They'll all be sitting on the gym floor. And when they walk in that room, inevitably the dog will start pulling. And the dog will be pulling to an individual child. And the story I hear over and over again is our handlers will be approached by the teacher and say, how did you guys know? And they'll say, know what? And they say, this child just lost their father. This child just went through a major crisis. And it's like, well, we didn't know, but the dog knew. And uh, so those dogs are trained. They uh, have 2,000 hours worth of training. And then we also train our churches. We deploy our dogs uh, to our churches. And they are the ones who come and get training as handlers. And they train not only how to handle the dogs, but they also train how to interact with people in different situations and how to be empathetic listeners, just like the dog, to be non-judgmental in our approach and to be able to allow people to talk and share their story and then respond accordingly. And so it's a fantastic ministry. I have seen it firsthand in many deployments. Um, the one that's probably one of the most meaningfuls was when we went down to Uvalde. And we had only been down there. This would have only been the third time that our teams were there. But we go into Valdi, and uh, the town is a smaller town, and they are a buzz with the fact that the dogs are back. And Walmart actually clears out a spot for us to go and sit and the community to come and be with the dogs. And their staff comes, and people already know the dogs. They're, they're asking about the other dogs that didn't come back but were there at the time of the shooting. And um, there's just been this relationship that has started, but not only with the dogs, but also with our handlers. And I will tell you that where it really became clear to me was, you know, I got the whole dog thing, excitement about that. But to watch our handlers and people hug and embrace and the conversations that they were having revealed a depth of intimacy that had been created through this trauma because of those dogs. And probably the highest honor that I think we got paid in terms of trust was when 34 public school teachers invited our canine units to go with them into the school building where the shooting occurred. They hadn't been back for the entire year. 
And before, as this one-year remembrance, they wanted to go back and be back into that school building. And we got invited to be there. The dogs are in a lot of different places. Like you said, in churches, they're also, I, I know that on, on some of our university and seminary campuses as well. Um, and people may ask, well, <laughs> what can a dog do? The dog can't talk. Uh, but like you said, the dog um, senses that is empathetic to a lot of the things that are happening that are un that that we can't see but the handlers are really the 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 ones then the dogs are there but then that's the gateway right the the handlers are able to do things that's right and i and i think you know the dogs the way it really works and if you just want to kind of go to a scientific approach all right they got science that proves that when you pet a dog that you are experiencing some of the same um, chemicals that are released during things like when you trust somebody. Well, imagine that you're doing this with a dog and now you're also sharing your story and our handler is there. Now the attachment and the connection is not just with the dog but with our handler. And that's where I think that relationship gets a chance to be very deep very quickly. And we have a deep respect for that. That's a privilege for us to have and we don't want to misuse that. Uh, and so we really train our handlers to be people of Christ, to be people who really love others wherever they're at. And I think that's been kind of the way that that bridge works and brings the handler into the conversation. Very important, I think, to emphasize that. Uh, some churches, I, I know a lot of churches, they, they request a dog, they sign up to get a dog. Uh, and then people say, well, I can hold a leash. I can, you know, I've got a dog at home. I can do that. And then they, they, they almost get disappointed when they realize just what is involved in the training because it is a, an, an intensive training. I know that from firsthand experience. I did some training with our first comfort dog here, and then we have a team here that are, are going through the training um, as we're looking, as we've re uh, requested a third dog here at St. Matthew, where I serve as a pastor, and uh, it, it is intense. In, and, the, in, and talk a little bit about that training. What are the handlers, and how long does it take? Yeah, there's about a period of 18 months that really, from start to finish, that we engage with a congregation who is interested in having the canine ministry at their location. And so it begins with building a team. And we work with a person that we end up calling and naming the top dog. Uh, that's not an animal, that's a person. And that person is the liaison between that church's ministry and LCC. And one of the things that's important to note is that for LCC, we really value the partnerships that we have with our churches. Uh, we're not here to, in one sense, sell a program to churches that they can run and operate. We actually partner with these churches and walk side by side with them as long as this ministry is engaged with them and they and us. And so we work with their top dog right away to get them trained, to get them equipped, to build their team. As they start gathering their team, they start having meetings and they begin to take on some of the training materials. They come to our Northbrook office where then they get an opportunity to work with some of our staff dogs and some of the other dogs that we have in training. And they get a chance to discuss and to share. And really, I think one of the challenges is for them themselves to go to some places that maybe uh, might be a little uncomfortable, maybe make them a place where they need to be vulnerable. But we go there on purpose because that's the experience that you get when you're out and you're in ministry with these dogs. Lutheran Church Charities has a lot of different opportunities, as we said, There's because there's, unfortunately there's a lot of disasters and a lot of uh, crises in the, in the country here. Uh, but what are some of the, as you're looking out ahead now, uh, some of the opportunities that you have uh, being with Lutheran Church Charities, what are some of the, those opportunities that LCC has? Yeah, well, we're going to continue to push forward because, as you said, the suffering and the need that's out there is great. So we're going to continue to rise up and find other ways to meet those um, people who are suffering and in need. One of the ways that is becoming very apparent to us is, um, first of all, we're going to continue to having disasters. We're talking about Florida right now. We've got our eyes on Florida. As soon as something pops up in the Atlantic or the Gulf, we're, we're watching it. 
Um, so with our disaster response, we have opportunities for people to get involved with our alert training, and they can take that training online, and they can actually serve in their community should a disaster strike. Uh, we also have, in terms of our Hearts of Mercy and Compassion, that's getting ready to expand. So just like we have our handlers who handle the dogs and go out and are deployed with that, we also are going to need more churches to participate and join with us in deploying our Hearts of Mercy and Compassion. Quick story on that, uh, just as an example, we called a neighbor church. Uh, there was a, a high school nearby where four students were killed in a, a car accident two weeks before graduation. And we contacted, we had had a relationship with the school, had a contact within the school. We made a contact and made an offering to bring our hearts into the building. They welcomed us. We partnered with a local congregation who was nearby and a couple of their members went together with us and we set up those hearts in the passing hall and during periods where people were passing the students came up and signed those hearts for the family of their deceased classmates. That kind of thing is happening all over the world obviously and it's a place where we as Christians can speak a moment of presence of peace and ministry. So that's another expansion. And then in human care, human care for us has mainly been in the Northern Illinois District but one of the things that we just discovered in Maui is the need for um, actual mental health and trauma and crisis recovery really became a large request from LCC in Maui. What was interesting about that, Ed, is that uh, we didn't have our dogs. Because of the quarantine rules, we couldn't get our dogs there, so we didn't have our dogs there. We didn't have our chainsaws there because it was a fire. And so... Uh, you know, you have to ask the question, so what do we do? And it's like, well, we do what we're called to do. And we're called to be there right now for people who are suffering in need. And one of the needs that came up was just having someone to sit with and talk with and explore the struggles and the pains emotionally and spiritually. And so we uh, partnered with the California, Nevada, Hawaii district. And uh, they gave two pastors who had had some counseling background and I got to tell you, it was an amazing outreach to the community to get to those hotels where the survivors were and to be able to hear their story, to let them cry when they needed to. Um, and so it was a really beautiful thing. And I see that's going to be something that is going to continue to grow as a need in our country. I'm glad you're talking about that because as I watch the news and read social media, not a lot of stories coming out of Maui. Uh, of what's been going on. It's, it's uh, just, just not a lot there. And so I, I'm glad that you're, you're here because you were there uh, and, and to talk about what actually happened. I mean, yes, yeah, what we basically heard was there was a fire uh, and that some people died in a, in a, in a large uh, fire on the island. But you were there. Tell us a little bit about what you saw and what you had to deal with. Yeah, so when we, um, when we got there, um, we landed with our partner church, Emmanuel Lutheran Church, and we began to minister to them first and foremost. When we got there, they told us that they were tired, that they were overwhelmed, um, they didn't know how to really respond, and uh, they were really looking for our leadership. And so we were very um, thankful for their invitation, uh, but we came in and said, well, listen, we're going to explore this with you. And so the very first day that we spent was with their leadership, talking about what they had seen and what they were hearing. It was interesting because they had a school. And so we got a chance, my wife is a counselor, and she got a chance to go into the classrooms with the other pastor. And uh, the kids were expressing words like sadness, grief, uh, terror, uh, scared. And all these kinds of words that they were trying to deal with at their age because of what they had heard from their parents and what they had witnessed. Then beyond that, we got a chance to go out into the community. And Lahaina, as we know it, is gone. Uh, the fires just really, uh, just really kind of devastated that whole downtown Lahaina. Um, this obviously is a major historical port for Hawaii and especially for Maui. And uh, there's a lot of tradition there, a lot of history there. And so that also added to the pain for people. And then you add the fact that the flames moved so quickly, the number of lives 
was the largest number of life lost in a fire for many, many, over 100 years here in the, in the United States. That is still, I think, something that was just starting to kind of hit people. Because you had 115, uh, at this point, identified, you still have hundreds missing. And so what you saw on people's faces, what I saw in people's eyes as we sat in some of the shelters, was a lot of shock, um, a lot of disbelief, um, a lot of gratitude. Um, there was a lot of gratitude there. People would ask, where, where are you guys from? Thank you for coming all the way here. I think being on the island does have kind of another you know, psychological ramification. You feel isolated just because you're on an island. But I think even more so for us to go and extend this help, uh, really, there's a lot of gratitude there as well. And then the stories of survival. Uh, we met with one couple who uh, the roof was blowing off of their building and up above their building were some power lines. And he was really concerned about more fire coming because of this power lines coming down. So he was up on his roof and he's up there trying to hammer his roof down. And he got blown off of his roof by one of the winds and knocked out. Uh, he came to, uh, the fires were coming down fast and he and his wife jumped in the car and they got away. His son happened to be visiting from Washington for a wedding for one of his friends, heard about these fires breaking out, got down to his parents' house as quick as he could. They can't get in touch with anybody, but of course he gets right to the house and sees the fires coming down on top of them, And but his parents aren't there. So he grabs a few things, makes it over the wall down towards the beach, and then his parents are telling us in tears the agony and the pain as he watched his childhood home go up in flames from the beach. So, you know, you've got loss of life. You have loss of history and identity. You have loss of property. Just so much loss that I would say that this is going to definitely be a long-term recovery. This was also the heart of their economy. Uh, Lahaina was a very popular spot for a tourist. And so that's going to have an impact. And then not to mention the displacement of thousands. You have thousands of people who are displaced right now and Red Cross will run out in a little bit. And so what happens next? A lot of questions still. We will put a link uh, how people can help. Uh, they can go through Lutheran Church Charities. Uh, I'll put a link to, the, uh, to your website in there to help out. As you said, the dogs aren't there. Uh, but the people are going, and um, we do have uh, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, of which we are a part, um, we have somebody on the ground there, Emmanuel Lutheran, you mentioned their church and school is there. Um, I don't know that we could even imagine, uh, all we could do is imagine, we can't understand, um, every church deals with that, you know, a person's had, had a fire at their home, and, and the rest of the church kind of rallies around that family. Uh, but we're talking about people that there are no homes anymore. I mean, everybody lost something, uh, if not everything. So uh, I, I think that, that um, we need to hear that story and uh, keep that in the forefront in our prayers as well. And I'm thinking as I'm talking with you this, I'm going to be moving up this episode so that it's not a couple weeks down the road. It's going to come out right away uh, because uh, it's just it's so relevant and 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 so important for people to first and foremost everybody can pray uh, but then uh, to do the next step as well to continue the prayers but partnering with Lutheran Church Charities uh, to help out there as well as around the world or around the other places. Um, you, you mentioned Northbrook. We are uh, sitting right now in northeastern Illinois. That's where uh, LCC's home base is but then kind of moves out all across the United States um, and uh, people can contact you through the website. We'll have that link for there. Uh, when you were looking at this, what is it that God can do uh, that makes a difference? How do you reflect God in all the different things that you do as, as the president and as the charities, does, Lutheran Church Charities does all around the country? How do you reflect God to people? Yeah, you know, I... God is actually teaching this to me in real time, as he always does. You know, we're always learning. 
And uh, I'm still learning too. I'm still learning more and more about Jesus and who he is and how he works. And his wisdom is way beyond me. Um, thankfully for everybody involved with me, that's true. Um, but I, I will tell you, this is probably the lesson where I'm learning the most right now and the place where I think all of us can be um, really the most help. I, as a pastor, and you can probably relate to this, Ed, I, I got done with my seminary training and uh, got my call, my ordination, installation all done, and uh, was kind of still doing the stuff I had been doing until I got that call from a family who was in a hospital, and their loved one was dying. And uh, I thought, okay, I took a deep breath and thought, okay, I haven't done this yet, but now's the call, I need to go, so I'm going to go. And you know, you want to do it right, right? So I had my book, I had my verses, I knew exactly what I needed to do, and I was trained for this. I kept telling myself, but I was really nervous because what do you, what can you say? This is such a painful moment. I remember walking into that hospital room pretty confident, to be honest. Uh, I felt like, you know what, I got this. I, I can do this. And I walked into that room, and I was completely underestimating the amount of grief that was coming my way. And uh, it was just like a tidal wave. And I still remember that visit. I remember getting through it. I remember feeling completely inadequate. I remember feeling like I failed. And I remember getting down to my car. And I remember saying to God, God, why? God, this, this, I, there's got to be something more that I can do. You know, what, you know, give me something. And, um, and so I learned as I went, as we always do, as you go through ministry, you start learning more and more of what that's like. Well, what's interesting is uh, eight years later, I got a chance to go back to St. John's and I got a chance to preach there. And in the foyer, this family came up to me. Their loved one had died. But you know what they said to me? They said, we will never forget. And here's, what, here's the thing, that, that the lesson. As a pastor, you know what I wanted him to say? We will never forget the wisdom that you cascaded down upon us, right, from Scripture that held us strong as a rock. Or, wow, you really said the right words and your prayer, or whatever that might be. It was none of that. You know all they thank me for? We will never forget that you were there in our moment of need. Incredible. It's just incredible that what I've heard it called several by several people, the ministry of presence. I think we underestimate just how God shows up in people's lives. Uh, we think that because we're trained, we went to college, we went to seminary, we know the Bible, we know a lot of theology, that God shows up in that way. And, and it's really just when we're there. And, and again, to bring it back to the comfort dogs, it's through the dogs that God shows up and it's not the dogs aren't doing anything. It's God doing it all uh, an incredible way to reflect. And, and so that can be anybody. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be some massive theologian uh, or anything like that. You just have to be someone who's available and God will equip you and, and you will then reflect that in you. So you've had a lot of experience uh, leading up to this, this position that you're in now. Um, who kind of motivated you? You talked a little bit about uh, your your godparent uh, at a wedding. Uh, who mentored you along the way to get you to where you are today? Well, I'm glad you, you kind of said it that way because there were so many people. I mean, so many people that God puts in our pathway. And, you know, they don't necessarily teach us the entire curriculum. Sometimes their responsibilities teach us one thing. And uh, literally, as I think back in my life, so many names come up. You know, first and foremost, my parents. I was really blessed with godly parents. Um, they're both with the Lord now. Um, but they, they really blessed me and gave me so much of this direction and mentorship on what it means to live as a Christian in life. Um, I, I would definitely list them. There were definitely pastors along the way. Um, in fact, Pastor Tim Klinkenberg was, was a mentor of mine. Pastor Greg Seltz, uh, another one. Pastor John Kieschnick. Uh, Pastor Jerry Kieschnick, uh, so many good pastors. Uh, Pastor Mike Newman just recently really made a huge impact. So a lot of pastors. 
I think also there have been some really good um, professionals that have been mentoring me along the way. Just recently, I have a professional coach. And I got to tell you that it has helped me tremendously, not just in my job here at LCC, but just in some of the everyday interactions that I have with people. And um, that has been a real blessing. So those mentors are such blessings, such blessings to me. The, the, the people in our lives, I, the reason I'm asking that question, and I want our people, the, the people watching or listening right now to hear the answers to this, is because they, it, it isn't always who we expect it to be. It isn't always who we think it should be. It can be the unsung heroes, uh, uh, a grandparent or a parent um, that, that comes in our lives. Or maybe it's someone comes very, very briefly in our lives, but they reflect God into our lives and then really do reflect through our lives as well that, of what they do. You, you mentioned some names, Craig Seltz. He's been a guest on the, the, the podcast uh, recently. And um, these guys down in Texas, they're, they're, they're doing a great job. The Kishnicks and, and then you Pastor Klinkenberg out in, in California. It just sparked me. And I got to reach out to Pastor Klinkenberg and get him on here and talk with him as well. Um, because they're doing some great things out that way. Um, so let's, uh, I'm looking at the clock here. We're, we're, we're doing all right on time. I just, maybe a little more personal things with Chris Singer. Um, uh, if I could get you a billboard out there, out, out on the, on a, on a freeway where, where people, hundreds and thousands of millions of people will be seeing it. And this sort of a, sums up your ministry or your life as someone who reflects God. What do you want to put on that billboard? Well, you know, first and foremost, obviously you want Jesus on there, right? I mean, I, I'd be nothing. I, I literally would be nothing. And that is my testimony. I would be nothing without Jesus. Um, he's everything. He saved me. Um, and, I, you know, I've been a Christian my whole entire life. Uh, Lutheran, born and educated all the way through. But some people sometimes miss this. Um, I have a lot of stories, and they're stories of salvation. Just as much as I grew up at a time where, of course, the big thing was, you know, the person who had never known Jesus, never known God, was a rebel, was into drugs, was into gangs, and suddenly came to Christ, and he was, wow, transformation, and everybody can see it, and everything's wow. I'll tell you what, the transformation in my heart and my life has been no less amazing. Um, and I think that's something that everybody needs to realize is that your story is so important. Um, and when you look through your story, you're going to see Jesus working constantly because he's faithful to do what he says. So certainly Jesus. The other, the other one I would put that might you know, kind of emphasize that in, uh, in a different way is that today is the new tomorrow. Uh, it's just kind of a phrase that I've been really using because it has uh, a lot to do with hope. We are people who need hope, and we have that hope in Jesus, but there's also an opportunity for us today to start making a difference for tomorrow. Um, sometimes we get overwhelmed at the amount of things that are to be accomplished, but knowing just today by doing one act of kindness, just how that can change someone's life by being there when someone needs it just today. You know, you may not be changing uh, the war in Ukraine and Russia right now, but you are changing significant things right now in this moment. And so I would say that was one of the things that I would put up there is, you know, today is the new tomorrow. Don't discount today what you can do today because it's going to make an impact into a better tomorrow. Excellent. That's the title of the episode. <laughs> today is the new tomorrow. Good. Hey, uh, if you wanted to give out a gift uh, of a book or three, uh, what kind of uh, books are you giving away? Good, good question. Um, I think one of the first books that um, I always tell people to, to read is C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. Um, I'd be telling people to get that book. I'd be giving it away. I have given it away. It's a great book. It's a fictional story about some people who are given a 24-hour pass out of hell to go and experience heaven. And the reason why I like it is that it begins to help us understand the drastic difference between the world that we're living in and the world that God originally created. 
he does such a masterful job at that that uh, and I'll tell you it really actually gave me a hunger for heaven like I've never had before because you know you always think about angels with harps and golden streets and you're kind of thinking I guess that's great no pain okay that's good but the way he describes heaven and how things are transformed that's the first book a second book, um, I uh, really love psychology. I really love um, getting into some of personal growth stuff. So another book is by Henry Cloud, Changes That Heal. Uh, I think it is an absolute important book for every person to read. Uh, I did over 20 years of marriage counseling, still have a couple uh, couples that I'm working with. And I usually get into the room with them and I tell them this very important key. Um, that there's only one person in this room right now that you can control, and it's not your spouse. It's you. And yet so many of us are so focused on what everybody else's problem is that we rarely take time to do the work on ourselves. Uh, if we could just change that, and, and changes that heal really bring a lot of pointers into understanding what that looks like. That's a great book. And another one along those same lines is Seven Desires of Every Heart. That's written by Mark and Deborah Laser, and uh, they write about seven basic needs that we need emotionally that are just as important to us as humans as water and air, and they really go into the psychology and what happens when you don't have that in your upbringing and why some of the behaviors you see as an adult are present. Um, fantastic read, really helped to guide a lot of my thinking. We will put links to that in the in the show notes in the stream's description. Um, as we wrap this up, uh, I want to give you the last word. You know, wh what are some of the things that maybe I, I didn't hit on that you certainly wanted to make sure that we heard about? Uh, I'll give you the last word. Well, thank you. I, well, I mean, I'm certainly proud of my family. That's one thing we didn't get into too much, but I'm certainly proud of my family. I've got five kids. My wife is uh, beautiful. She just started a brand new job at a counseling, community counseling center. I could not be more proud of her. Um, and she has to still live with me and support me. So that's an amazing job in and of itself. Um, very thankful for her, thankful for our dog, Harvey. So I'm just very grateful for those personal blessings that I have. I would say that the other thing is, is that uh, when it comes to living life and being kind and just journeying together, um, one of the things that's probably the biggest on my heart is, um, you know, could we just find a way, as especially speaking to the church, could we just find a way to get back to the main thing and to really begin to focus our efforts on the kindness and the great opportunities of loving one another as Jesus asked us. So many of the things that we are making um, faith and uh, following Jesus to be about seems to fall very short of Jesus' description of what he says it means to follow him. And uh, in Maui, uh, this came up again because one of the counselors that was coaching some of uh, the team there at Emmanuel shared this great, brilliant point. He says, you know, sometimes we hear you know, why did God allow this to happen? And we hear that as a theological question. And of course, everybody wants to rise up and start talking about, you know, God and who he is and how he is, allows pain and all this. And he says, but we missed the question. That's not the question. That is a question of pain. And it means a different answer other than a theological treatise. And I think that's probably more true than not right now in our country. People are, people have probably tried church and they've probably tried Jesus, but they've tried a version of him that is not truly what he is. And, you know, my, my biggest plea as the last word is, let's get back to the main thing. Let's get back to that. I want to thank Chris Singer, President and CEO of Lutheran Church Charities, for joining me today. Um, God's blessings to you, Chris. Keep up the good work. Hope you enjoyed my discussion with Chris Singer from Lutheran Church Charities and the Comfort Dog Ministry and uh, helping out in Maui and 
all the things there. I hope that this podcast does inspire you to hear God's call for you. You know, God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. And as he calls us, he equips us to go out and do acts of ministry and service. And that way we reflect the love of God, hence the name of this podcast, Reflection. Uh, God truly does love us and we reflect that love by helping others and loving our neighbors. And Lutheran Church Charities and Chris Singer certainly do that. If you'd like to know more about LCC, uh, there will be a link in the stream's description today, and that's the show notes. He'll, well, I will also put in links to uh, the books that Chris talked about uh, that were inspirational to him, uh, and so you can find out more about that. And if you'd like to know more about us here at St. Matthew Lutheran, where we originate this podcast, and you can go to our website, it is stmats.net, S-T-M-A-T-T-S dot net. If you find yourself in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, you are certainly uh, welcome to join us for church or Bible studies or our other events. You can go to our website to plan your visit. We're only about an hour north and west of the city of Chicago. We're less than an hour from O'Hare Airport, so we're really easy to find, and we'd love to see you come on out. As I said, the podcast originates here and goes all around the world, and we'd love to have you rate this podcast and share it so more and more people will hear about it. I do want to give a shout-out to our music uh, bed people, and that's podcastmaker.com and Alidu, the podcast maker. Uh, you can find out more about uh, their music and, and the other things that they, pr- they provide for podcasts at podcasthost.com slash free music. I really do appreciate you joining me today uh, for this episode. Remember that the episodes drop on Tuesday mornings around 6 in the morning and then are available all the time and wherever you find your podcasts. We are pretty much available there. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube Podcasts, and also on our website. We also have a Facebook page, a YouTube channel, and you can also find us on Instagram. I'm Ed Blonsky. Thanks for joining me today. I pray that God will richly bless you. Join me again next time on the Reflection Podcast.